through our many engagements daily. We support airmen in emergency financial distress, we help their families achieve their educational goals, and we improve quality of life through proactive community programs. This is Airmen Helping Airmen, a podcast brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society and our generous donors who support airmen and their families. Each episode, we will strive to bring a smile, spark an idea, or perhaps even having you shed a tear. We will share airmen and their family stories in their voices and show you how the Airmen Helping Airmen philosophy still drives our mission today. But why is that important? Because none of it's possible without you. Welcome back to the second season of the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. We have an exciting season planned so be sure to subscribe to the series on all major podcast platforms. And if you haven't noticed, a lot of things around the Air Force A Society have been changing. And what better way to start off season two than with an introduction to one of the biggest changes around the Air Force A Society, the new CEO, Khalith Wright. I'm Khalith Wright, the CEO of Air Force A Society. The journey started with the United States Air Force 35 years ago to where he became a prominent leader in the United States Air Force. And now he's leading the Air Force's official charity. But what's next for the Air Force A Society? He will be the moderator for this podcast series moving forward. So you can tune in to hear from Khalith Wright and his guests in upcoming episodes. Well, I won't steal his thunder. I'll let him tell his story and what you can expect from the Air Force A Society now and in the near future. I learned from my mother a long time ago to always put other people before myself, and, and that's something that stuck with me. And service before self was, uh, or is, one of the core values in the airports that I served in. What it really means to me is um, making sure that, you know, you put the welfare of others, whether it's your family, your colleagues, the people that you serve with, you know, that you put, uh, you always put others before yourself. Um, there is some, I think, some misunderstanding sometimes where I've seen leaders default to whenever they needed someone to do something that was that was tough or going to be demanding or unpopular. You know, they would always just go straight to, you know, hey, service before self. We need you to deploy. We need you to work the weekend. We need you to work at, at, at night. And I, I don't think that's exactly what, what we mean or what the intention of the phrase uh, search for self. I just always think of it as um, if you place the focus in your life, not just in the military, if you place the focus uh, in life on others, then karma will take care of the rest and it'll come back to you uh, tenfold. So when I joined the Air Force, it took me a minute to to really adjust to, to Air Force life and what it really meant in the Air Force to have service before self. But you know, I learned over the years to just, again, put, put other people first. I graduated from high school in 1988 in Columbus, Georgia, and I, my plan was to go to college. I didn't really have a solid plan. I just knew I wanted to get away from home. Uh, so I went to college just for about uh, a couple of semesters up at Winston-Salem State University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, primarily because my older brother uh, had moved to Winston, Winston-Salem. And um, so I wanted to be close to him and, I, you know, be away from home and, and, and go to college. And it didn't work out. So I had a lot of fun, a little short time that I spent in college. But bottom line, I I found myself back home and with no plan. So I I went back to, I used to work in a barbecue restaurant, Country's Barbecue. 
So I, I was working in this barbecue restaurant, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And just one day on a whim, uh, an Air Force recruiter's uh, business card fell out of my wallet. I picked it up and decided just right then and there, I'll join the Air Force. I didn't know anything about the Air Force. As a matter of fact, I don't remember if it was an MTI or a recruiter of some sort asked me what my name was. And I said, Khalif Wright. And he said, no, what's your name? I said, Khalif Wright. He said, no, what is your name now, son? And I said, oh, private Khalif Wright. I mean, that's how little I knew about <laughs> Air Force. And so he chewed me out and promptly let me know it was airman, <laughs> not private. You know, I was I was a bad airman. I was undisciplined. I used to come to work late. I used to fight a lot, drink a lot. You know, and anything that, you know, an airman was not supposed to do, you could pretty much uh, guarantee that I was doing it. Sometimes I was getting caught and sometimes I wasn't. I would say by the grace of God and I surround myself with, with great people and a lot of good friends that I've had for 30 plus years. And I had a really, really good mentor that took care of me and showed me, you know, how, how to make it through the tough times, how to be a man, how to be a professional. And I'm forever grateful for Joe Winbush and his wife, Diane, who are like my military uh, mom and dad. They essentially adopted me into their into their family. You know, I, I was able to turn my life and turn my career around. It started off pretty rough. So how has it been since you stepped away? It's been actually great, man. So I don't have to worry about what I wear. I'm pretty in tune with, with fashion. My wife used to get on me because I started buying uh, suits and shirts and I love uh, different types of lapel flowers. So I don't really have that issue. But in general, transition for me has been very relaxing and a very smooth process. When I was in, I felt like I was living my purpose and when my time ended, I felt like it was time for me to move on and do something else. So I had no stress. I had no anxiety about uh, how much I would miss the Air Force or miss the job. Of course, I miss my friends and I miss the people. But I think when when you're living in your purpose, transitions come much easier and much more naturally. So I felt like I was exactly where I was meant to be at this time in, in my life. And I actually had a plan. I'm just not able to open my own executive coaching business and go around the world and do leadership coaching. And I'm still going to do as much as being the CEO of Air Force A Society will, will allow me to do. Um, so I, I was looking forward to being an entrepreneur and, and all that comes with the risk and the, the ups and downs that comes with being an entrepreneur. But in short, man, the transition has been, I mean, it's been great. You know, the good thing is I still have lots of friends and family and uh, folks that I used to work for and folks that used to work with me and and for me uh, that I stay connected to on some level. So uh, I still get my fix of mentoring and coaching and teaching and, and, I, and I need mentorship and I do my, my fair share of mentoring, uh, you know, folks that I was connected to that are still in the airport. So overall, it's been a, a, a relatively smooth transition. And even being a smooth transition, why the Air Force Aid Society? And why is this role important to you now? One of the things that attracted me to the Air Force Aid Society was simply the mission, right? And, you know, I spent a great part of my career taking care of airmen. I saw an Air Force Aid Society, a, an organization that does the same exact thing, that takes care of airmen and families in a slightly different way than what I, what I have been doing. And then I love the leadership challenge. I thought, what better way to put all of the training, the experience, the education that that I kind of devoured during my time in the Air Force, what better way to put it to use than uh, to lead a premier organization? And, and so I was very attracted to it. To be honest, I didn't necessarily think I had a chance. It wasn't that I didn't think I could do it. I was very confident that 
just on the experience that I had that I could lead the organization. We had never hired a prior enlisted to run the Air Force Aid Society. But after talking to a few folks within the Air Force Aid Society and a few of my advisors and mentors to include my old boss, uh, the chief of staff, General Dave Goldfein, you know, I, I decided that, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So the, the shot was there and I took it and things worked out great. And it's just been a great reception from the team, from the staff. We got a great group of people that I get the pleasure of working with every day, albeit virtual most of the time. But uh, I'm very, very excited about being a part of the Air Force Aid Society. So you stated you wanted to get out and do entrepreneurship, which can be challenging in itself. Now you walked into a CEO role of this organization that is in line with your morals and your goals of making changes in lives of airmen every day. The Air Force Aid Society has been established with an emphasis on legacy. How do you plan to innovate what the Air Force Aid Society does now and in the future? I, I don't know that I've personally been innovative, uh, but I feel like that uh, my team and I have empowered the folks that serve with us to be innovative. They have all the ideas. It's, it's always been my job to remove all the red tape and, and find ways to, to make stuff happen. And so it'll be the same here in Air Force Aid Society is, uh, you know, we plan to make innovation a part of the culture, a part of the everyday culture in, in Air Force Aid Society. And that means people will feel free to spend time on innovative things and people will feel free to speak up and have ideas and have the ideas heard uh, about innovative things, all for the purpose of making us uh, a better organization. And so I think as a leader, that's one of the best things that you can do is create a culture where innovation is is woven into the fabric of what you do every day, not some program that happens once a year. Uh, it doesn't have to be one contest. You know, you can use whatever whatever vehicles you like to allow people to be innovative. But the one that I like the most is saying, hey, uh, how about you take 20% of your time every week and spend it on um, trying to better improve your programs or anything that you think about Air Force Aid Society. And so we're always in a constant process of growth and development. You know, I always believe if better is possible, good is never enough. So I kind of, I, I don't say, I won't say I hate the term, but I kind of, uh, turn a side eye to the term, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I think that, to me, uh, leads to stagnation. And there's just so much potential for us as Air Force Aid Society. So uh, I'm going to build on what General Hopper and uh, Air Force Aid Society has been doing. It's been a phenomenal organization. It's helped so many airmen and, and families. Um, and there's a lot more for us to accomplish. And I think we're going to do it through through innovation, through collaboration. And, uh, you know, we got a little bit of a technology challenge right now that, that uh, we're, we're trying to work through. But, uh, again, all that kind of synergy and all those things will, will make us the best. What I would like for us to become is the best version of ourselves as AFAS. You know, think of it as Air Force Aid Society 2.0. This is an opportune time that not only do you get to work with airmen and their families, but space professionals and their families as well. I couldn't think of a better time to come into this role and be innovative. How do you see that transition with the Air Force Aid Society and Space Force Challenge? 
Yeah, I think integrating the, the space professionals, and I, I spoke to, uh, I actually played around the golf with the Chief of Space Operations, General Raymond, this past weekend. We talked a little bit about this, and they do have a name, uh, I think, that they're thinking about. Uh, I won't spoil it for everybody, but they'll come out with it here in, in the next month or so. Integrating them into our process won't be that hard. The space force probably won't ever get beyond uh, 20,000 um, 20, people. Um, and, and that's going to take them, you know, three or four years to even get to that. So, uh, it, it won't be that difficult integrating them into emergency assistance and scholarships and community programs. Uh, Latoya, uh, Crow, our chief development and communications officer will have the, the hard job of integrating space into our name change and rebranding all of our websites and materials. Uh, that'll be more challenging than actually you know, being able to extend uh, our financial support and education and community support to the, the folks in the Space Force. Because they all still, even though uh, the space bases in Colorado and in Vandenberg and in Patrick have been redesignated to the Space Force, uh, they're still, uh, I mean, they are previous Air, Air Force bases. There will be an Air Force component, uh, support components so the Airmen and Family Readiness Centers centers will still be there to support them. So all, all of that stuff will be relatively easy. Uh, Latoya has a hard job with rebranding. How often in a lifetime, let alone a career, do you get the opportunity to be one of the first, especially in the DOD? Like those who were the first from the Army Air Corps to the Air Force. If you could have one or two guests on this podcast, who would it be and why? If I could have two people on this podcast, one one would be uh, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, famous author, several number one bestsellers. Just because I love the way he thinks, I love the way that he sees things. Uh, I, I think he can be very, very helpful in helping us, you know, think about different and better ways to, to serve our population. And the other person that I would have on this podcast would be Muhammad Ali. I'm seeing him over my shoulder here, but uh, you know, one of my heroes and 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 someone that I would love to have sat down and have had a conversation with. I was uh, I loved his courage. I loved his rashness. I loved his ability to to say things that nobody else would would say, and that's something that uh, you know certainly I wasn't able to do um, as a as a person in the United States Air Force, but uh, he's somebody that I admire and look up to. So my call to action for Muhammad Ali, I guess, would be to God, to raise him from the dead. So we probably won't get Muhammad Ali. Um, And uh, the call to action to Malcolm Gladwell would be, you know, we've done this before. I interviewed him on a a previous podcast and and we had a a, a great conversation. And Malcolm, I'd love to have you uh, come back and talk a little bit more about the your thoughts and your feelings about the nonprofit space. So you're taking on this role as the moderator of the Airman Helping Airman podcast and soon to be space professionals cast as well. What do you hope to achieve with this platform? Uh, I think uh, a myriad of things. Uh, I think uh, it will range from educating people about what Air Force Aid Society is doing uh, talking about tough uh, subjects, whether it's uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, whether it's financial readiness and education, leadership, I think will be a big part of the discussions that that, that we have. And, and then certainly the importance of 
nonprofit organizations across, uh, not just across the Department of Defense, but across society. And, uh, you know, how, how we all benefit from, you know, benevolence and giving back. And uh, I love to have people come on and talk about grace, about gratitude, you know, those things that, that we don't often, that are overlooked, especially sometimes with military uh, audiences. So, you know, I, I, I don't know that we should uh, pin one particular thing to this podcast, but I think we have the potential to invite some guests. Uh, that have a broad uh, frame of of knowledge, and and we can all learn a lot from the folks that uh, between you, myself, and Latoya, will be able to get uh, to come onto the podcast. Now, I know you have accomplished a lot of things in your life so far, and have plenty more ahead of you. But the serious question: What would you say your superpower is? Inspiring others, I guess. So I feel like uh, you know. I, I don't know that I've laid my hat on any personal thing that I've actually accomplished my myself, but I do feel a lot of pride in knowing that I was able to inspire people, uh, sometimes directly by helping them uh, achieve whatever goal that they, they were trying to achieve. And sometimes indirectly, you know, I do get people reach out to me and say, hey, you don't know me, you never met me, but I've been watching you. And, uh, you know, you inspired me to to do this or do that or stay in the fight. You know, I was doing a a presentation this weekend for an organization called The Rock, which is a mentorship and development organization, mostly for Army officers. And uh, I happened to be the first Air Force speaker that they in, invited and the first enlisted speaker that they invited to talk to the group. And one of the gentlemen who was a lieutenant colonel said, hey, man, you know, when I, I recently wrote an op-ed uh, about race and, and, and inclusion, when the right after the George Floyd incident, but he was ready to quit until he read what, what I had written and he said it kept him in fight. So uh, that's, uh, I guess, if I had a superpower, it would be uh, the ability to inspire others to achieve their goals. What words or call to action would you say to those who are somehow in need of assistance from the Air Force A Society? You know, those who are just on hard times. Yeah, so I, you know, I keep it simple. The Air Force Aid Society is here and has been here for uh, seventy-five plus years uh, to serve airmen. And so, if you feel like you're in a position where you need financial assistance or you need uh, help, uh, go, you know, with your educational pursuits, or if there's a, a community program, uh, particularly you know, spouse spouse employment um, training and, and whatnot, then reach out. Uh, go to your first sergeant. Go to your commander. Go to our Air Force. Uh, a society websites and uh, reach out. Not everyone is is eligible. Not every situation is is eligible. Uh, but we rarely turn down. We very rarely turn down people uh, who need assistance. And so um, I would say, don't don't necessarily let your pride get the best of you. I know sometimes uh, it can be painful uh, to ask for help, but that's exactly why we're here. That's exactly why we go through the efforts of raising money so that we can give it away. Um, to call upon us if, if you need us. Uh, we're always here to help. General Hap Arnold and B started this on education so long ago. How do you see what they started and how do you plan on continuing the legacy? So we'll we'll continue uh, the certainly the legacy of emergency assistance because uh, life is so unpredictable. And sometimes it's unpredictable for 
you as an individual, you, you may fall upon hard times. And then, uh, of course, Mother Nature is very un, unpredictable. Who knows when a hurricane or a flood might tear, tear your house apart. The community programs, I think we'll look to expand community programs here where we'll use a little bit of innovation and get some thoughts and ideas, not just from the staff, but from the commanders and the, the airmen out in the field on, hey, what what things that can we do to expand uh, how we take care of you guys from a community support uh, perspective. And uh, one thing that we've discussed in my first month or so is the possibility of adding kind of a fourth, uh, I call it a fourth line of effort, which is financial readiness education. Uh, I know that some of that is being done uh, in the Air Force and through other venues, uh, but there's nothing like when you want to uh, make an impact on something, taking responsibility for it uh, yourself. I think there's a great uh, space and opportunity for us to educate airmen and their families uh, at an early point in their career and at certain points throughout their career on the importance of um, financial readiness, which includes uh, education, taking advantage of, of of technology. I don't I don't propose um, you know long boring classes. People sitting down and having some counselor talk to them, uh, but utilizing the technology that's available uh, and and that can mean any number of things. But I'd love to get uh, more education to to folks uh, about the about finance. So, what was your first interaction with the Air Force Aid Society? Ooh. Um, my first interaction with Air Force Aid Society was probably not until uh, I was either a senior master sergeant or a chief, and one of my airmen needed some support, and I, you know, worked the support through the first sergeant to get them uh, what 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 they needed. I don't know that we had Falcon loans at the time, but it was it was probably for a grant of some sort. But I never, I never had the courage. I guess I was always too ashamed. Uh, Lord knows, I needed the Air Force Aid Society on on many occasions. I remember as a young airman, uh, actually uh, going to do exactly what what we as an Air Force Aid Society uh, have encouraged people not to do. Really, what which was the foundation of the Falcon Loan? You know, I went to one of those uh, predatory lenders outside the gate and and got a high interest loan to try to you know bail myself out of out of trouble. And, uh, you know, just because I was too prideful to let my supervisor or my commander, uh, whoever know that I was in some, having some financial difficulties. So um, I didn't have the pleasure of interacting with the uh, Air Force A Society when I was a, a young man, but I certainly knew about them and utilized them uh, to help my airmen out when, when I got into a position of leadership. So I guess you say your aha moment was when you saw how effective and important the Air Force A Society is. And airmen's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's wow. I mean, the, the the amount of support we provide and the things that we do, and the level of flexibility and the speed with which we can deliver that assistance is mind blowing. Uh, so we're not talking about days and months. When when you come to the Air Force A Society, typically within hours, uh, you know, you'll you'll have that money in hand in the bank, or it'll be to uh, whatever company, organization, or debtor you might you might owe it to. And that's just a testament to the great work that, uh, you know, all of our um, staff members and all of my teammates at Air Force A Society has been doing over the over the years. And we have some, some, some long-time employees. We have some folks that have been working for Air Force A Society over 30-plus years. And, and so that's really a testament to the culture and the leadership that's been in place uh, that people would be willing to, to stay with an organization that long. 
Wow, what a leader that's continuing to lead. I'd like to thank Khalith Wright, the new Air Force Aid Society CEO, for joining us on the Airman Helping Airman podcast this week. You all should look forward to hearing from Khalith Wright. Now as the moderator, he will continue to tell stories that will move you. So be sure to subscribe to the Airman Helping Airman podcast on all streaming platforms. Also, if you want to find out more information on the Air Force Aid Society, go to www.afas.org to see how you can help. And if you'd like to donate, head over to that red button that says donate and click on it and follow all the prompts. And remember, without you, none of this is possible. Until next time.